Welcome, welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. It's, uh, we have a lovely audience today. You know, uh, last week's audience was only three strong and sounded louder than you guys, so that's, <laughs> that's embarrassing right there. Uh, my name is Tom Douglas, chef nice. owner of a few joints here in you Seattle. You such a nice way to welcome people. <laughs> <laughs> well, wasn't it true that one lady No, it's went, true. They were loud. They were loud. They went crazy last week. Yeah. Oh my God. It was like... Thought she was dying. Um, uh, I have a couple of places around town, including a serious takeout out in Ballard. You know, we're going to change the name of that to Serious Pie Ballard. Seems more more simple. Okay. Yeah. Carlisle Room is open and going. A Sea Town restaurant where I, I often chuck oysters out on the sidewalk. I'm in on a nice tray, not on the sidewalk, but on a nice tray. Yeah. Lola's open. The theaters. You see us at the Paramount and more theaters. Things are moving forward. Yep. Trying to get things back up and running. Uh, and who are you, sir? I don't recognize you. Oh, I'm you. Thierry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. Thank you very much. <laughs> Maybe you don't recognize, they do. They recognize you. <laughs> and uh, how's famous Lulu doing? Every week, uh, every week, Lulu... Uh, uh, well, the airport is very... Um, not, not so busy this week, you not know. Not so busy. <laughs> Believe me, I know. I can see in our restaurants. Since, since the beginning of the year, it's been on the slow motion, kind of, uh, yeah. you know, going slower and slower. But... Uh, it's only a matter of time, and as we all know, this, this COVID thing is going to move sideways, and we're going to move forward. So, um, you know, you got to keep the spirit up. This is not a war. This is just a battle. We've won the war already, so. All right. We're here at the beautiful Hotel Andra in downtown Seattle, 4th and Virginia. Uh, brand new remodel here, and it looks gorgeous. Don't Absolutely. you think when you come in? I, I love the new lobby. Just the door handle makes you feel like something is different. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, it's peak of the season time. Pamela, I feel like peak of the season Brussels sprouts, you sneak in like every three months. It's like somehow, <laughs> you love Brussels sprouts. We've talked about them ad nauseum, so I'm going to sneak in another something. It'll be a surprise today okay, of what uh, I'm going to put in there instead of Brussels sprouts. Cauliflower. Uh, hearty, winter, <laughs> hearty winter salads. Uh, Michelle Tam and Henry Fong are going to visit and talk about their new book, Nom Nom Paleo. Let's go. And Pamela calls it the book of the century. Now, she does have some hyperbole about her. I do. Yes, but um, can we say this year's your favorite book this year? Uh, okay. It is January. <laughs> through the week in 22. No, I, I can't wait to read through it. It's beautifully illustrated and all of those things. Kenji Lopez-Alt is going to join us. That's a big day. Uh, his yeah. new book is coming out in March. It's uh, He Walk, Serious Eats, and Exploring Seattle. So he, uh, his Instagram miracle. Post, I'm just finding new places because he's doing so much exploring. Right. Good for him. Looking forward to chatting with him. He did a class here yeah, a couple years ago. If you don't know him, it's somebody to follow, definitely. He's got some awesome explanations of many well, different, different items on the There menu. are many people who would call his book the book of the century. I, right. I, I might. Which is called the Food Lab, right? And it's I know. the best-selling cookbook in I, I use it constantly. Yeah. So it's today we so have important. two books of the century. <laughs> 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 Lastly, we're going to, as you know, if you listen to our show, we're going to play Rub With Love Tasty Trivia. Uh, we're going to have a winner. And we're going to have a loser. Have a loser. <laughs> Maybe two losers, right? Because only one person can win. Maybe you could And tie. Kenji's playing against you guys. Oh, oh no way. I'm leaving now. <laughs> we need a little, little preview of the questions. We need no. a drink. <laughs> All right, let's talk our taste of the week, Chef. Yes, sir. What's your taste of the week? My taste of the week is uh, fried oyster at Eden Hills Restaurant on Queen Anne. I went there for a cocktail and uh, just one poo-poo with Kathy. We went there. 
And uh, Chef Liz was very kind to send us a, she had a new dish on the menu, and she had these oysters, fried oysters. And I, honestly, I'm not a big fried oyster guy. That's never something Me I would... Me neither. That's not something I would ever order on a menu. It's just not my thing. You know, I like raw oysters a lot. I can mm-hmm. eat three dozen of raw oysters, no problem. But anyway, um, they were just fantastic. Serve on a, like a chimichurri kind of base uh, sauce. So basically, uh, you know, ground herbs and li- uh, lemon and um, salt, pepper. And, and the batter was really good. It was not, it was, um, it was not a, a light batter like a... You know, if you were thinking like a Japanese light butter, that would, not, type. That would not, not, be like, not be like a tempura, but a bit heavier. But it was not heavy in the sense of not cooked on the inside kind of thing. It was nice and heavy in a good way. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so it was a batter and not like a panko crumb or... No, no, no. It was a batter. Okay. And uh, it was really delicious. I mean, it was... The oysters was not overcooked. You I know. love, Chef, when you love something, you, your voice kind of... It was really delicious. <laughs> I love that. I would have been a great cartoonist... Um, not cartoonist, but the voice in the cartoon. Ooh, ba 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 A Mel Blanc. <laughs> Here we go. Or as we say in America, maybe, a Mel Blanc. I'm not, quite that, I'm not quite that presumptuous, but... Yeah. Anyway, um, I recommend Eden Hills for... Um, you know, fried oysters. Fried oysters. Right now, it's on the menu, so I think, still today, I hope. Uh, my dish, oddly enough, is fried, and it's a little bit self-serving, uh, because... Of I had it last night at the Carlisle Room, which I happen to own. And Ron made our uh, chicken schnitzel. And it was just like the perfect dish last night. It was beautifully crispy on the edges. It was perfectly cooked all the way through. It had a nice little uh, raw apple and radicchio salad on top. With that. So with the fried cutlet, nice, you get nice the little through. salad. And then, you know, our shallot mustard is really good. <laughs> it really is. It, we, we serve it with the shallot mustard and... It's just as simple as could be, and a beautiful way to have fried chicken. Yeah, and the, and the and chicken tastes, stays moist, too. The what does? The chicken stays moist. It stays moist, and uh, the salad really just is a nice little sparkle alongside of something that's fried, right? right. It's right. fried in uh, uh, half butter, half olive oil. Mm. What's with the half? <laughs> 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 Mine is fried with whole butter and whole olive oil. <laughs> That's not that oh, funny. You, you're, oh. laughing, you're laughing like that's super funny. That's just not that funny. Uh, so anyway, so that was my thing. And the shallot mustard, we have a, in our line of uh, Rub With Love line, we have toasted shallot mustard. Yes, absolutely. Because I'm in love with that flavor when you go to a Vietnamese restaurant of the kind of bittersweet shallots, the fried dark brown shallots they put on uh, many of their salads and spring rolls and all sorts of things. Right. No, it's a great uh, mustard. So I mean, I'm I like a mustard that. fan, so you don't have to sell me on that. That's a good one. I think it's a good one for any kind of roast also. I, I like it on when I have a, a roast, like a beef roast or a pork roast. Uh-huh. Just to sprinkle that, just take the mustard and put it right on top of the slice of the pork. That's really delicious. You and go. you don't have to make a sauce. It's already made for you. It's already done. Yeah, yeah exactly. All right, peak of the season time uh, coming up next. And we're going to talk carrots because uh, at the Ooh. farm right now, we left in a row of carrots from last fall. And didn't harvest them and let them winter over. And we had that cold snap and we got that freeze that you look for where, mm, for mm. carrots or parsnips or beets to kind of winter over and get super sweet. And so we're picking them right now. Matter of fact, we're trying to pick them before our new puppy, Fava Bean, picks <laughs> them. He pulls, he pulls the turnips out by the, the, the greens at the top and just eats the whole turnip. <gasps> 
It's like, dude, I paid for those. Wow. Yeah, because they're sweet. A vegetarian dog. Super sweet. (laughs) Uh, Right now, when we come back, it's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. It's the Hot Stove Society Show coming to you from the Hotel Andra here in downtown Seattle. Tom Douglas and the chef in the chapeau. Oui, monsieur. Oui, monsieur. Uh, let's talk uh, our peak season, which is carrots for me. What? Uh, I, my daughter is living with us right now while they, and her husband. We let him in, too. And my grandson, Hercules. Hercules and I had dinner at the Carlisle Room last night, and I was trying to read him the menu, and... I saw that in the kitchen. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, anyway, where was I? Um, carrots. She said she. Uh, I always have carrots in my fridge because it's a go-to veg. Yes. Carrots, broccoli, blah blah blah. She said she never has carrots, and so we've been eating a lot of carrots because she's uh, she's liking them. So, chef, I'm going to start with you. Pamela likes to shred them. She likes them in salad, all kinds of shredded and stuff. It's not that's not my gig. Uh, shredded carrots. Um, that's not your gig. <laughs> no. Um, I love well, I that. do. I like them. I like them. You gotta stay open-minded about how many use can you possibly make out of a carrot. My favorite carrot dish in a restaurant uh, used to be when Peter Sipra was alive. He had a place called Labuznik down at Second and or First of Virginia, right across from Le Pichet. Le Pichet in the in the Virginia Inn, but yep. across the street. I think the Design Within Reach is there now, if I'm not mistaken. Something. Anyway, he used to make a beautiful carrot to go with everything year-round. He wasn't a Mr. Seasonal. Mm-hmm. And he just put them in a pan with butter and powdered ginger mm-hmm. and a little bit of sugar, and he made these most delicious kind of glazed carrots. Yeah. And they were, they were fabulous and as simple. Uh, and then uh, he was Czechoslovakian, and so they cooked them. he probably cooked them more than I would. Right. But uh, at the he same time. He probably blanched them first. He probably didn't he just. He probably did. I, I don't know. That's, that's a step you don't have to take if you right. don't want to. But uh, so that's a, that's a go-to carrot dish that is uh, simple, easy. And tasty. Yeah. I mean, to me, carrots, butter, um, coriander, I mean, um, not see, yeah, coriander, and uh, also um, cardamom, one cardamom, mm-hmm. only to just give a nice little hint of cardamom into your carrots, a little bit of water, cook the whole thing together slowly. And What's the you, water for? What are you doing? Just because you're basically blanching slash steaming the carrots, and you're covering the pot. Okay. So. And then, so it creates that steam kind of... Uh, okay, because I thought you were going down a roasted route, but you're going to just more of a, a steamed carrot. Different style. Yeah, the yeah, same yeah. style as what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. And then you relief the, you take off the lid when they're almost done, and it finishes by caramelizing the outside. Okay. It's very quick. It's very simple. It gives the carrots all its flavor and a hint of cardamom and coriander. Salt and pepper at the end if you want to, and then you're done. You got a beautiful dish of carrot. And, you know, carrots, if you have one of those... Um, you know, three-inch deep pan with a lid, stainless steel, and you cook that medium heat on the on the fire. Your carrots are done in in twenty minutes. You get the most gorgeous oh, dish of at carrots. Oh, most, yeah. Well, I mean, we're talking you know nice sized carrots. Uh-huh. You don't cut them; you just leave them whole. You know, try to take them fairly much the same size, and you have wonderful carrots ready to go. And it's a dish that can go. You know, you make a whole batch, so you keep some in your fridge, and you know, next day you have a. A salad with, uh, I don't know, roasted chicken and you have leftovers. Mm-hmm. You take those carrots, you slice them thin, saute them in a pan with a little bit of olive oil, and then boom, you throw that on your salad. You get, you know, a nice little chicken, carrot, and whatever else you want to add, almond, toasted almond, or pistachios, whatever mm-hmm. you want to do to that. 
But that's one way to use the carrots. And uh, again, we just picked our last carrots and our last parsnip of the garden as well for us at home. Oh, they're so good right now. The parsnips were like... You don't really think about... Uh, parsnips you think about being a winter vegetable, but not really carrots so much. But they're so good this time of year. Oh, yeah. From a farm. And you, and you can go out to the farmer's market in Ballard or to... Newalkin brings them to us, Newalkin uh, Farms. Uh, Carrots, turnips, uh, rutabagas. You know, they got crushed with all that rain down yeah. there. Yeah, they got. Yeah, I mean, that's a, yeah, if your farm is close to a river yeah. in, this, in this part of the world in the last three months, you get probably submerged. So, But anyway, so, back uh, to the carrots the other way. Let's go back to that. Here's the, let me think, I'm next. You got, you no, got no, one. No, no, but I was going to, uh, you know, you said you don't like shredded carrots. I don't I like, love shredded. I, well, I mean, what's not I like? I like julienne carrot. carrots and then pickled quickly. And keep that in your fridge for when you're making salads or even to put on top of a, a steak or whatever. Pickle carrots. About me. That's my yeah, favorite well, place to have That too, like carrots, a roast yeah. pork or whatever. The point is you have those pickled carrots in your refrigerator in a, in a container. It doesn't go bad for, you know, a few weeks. And you can just keep that in your refrigerator and then pick some out every time you, you need to have some nice acid balance on, to, on top of something. A piece of fish, whatever. But that's a great way to use You're carrots. Put julienne pickled carrots on top of a piece of fish, chef. Yeah. Are you stretching at all right now? No. Seems like you're stretching. Nice a little, little bit. snapper, pan yeah. fried. Put that on top pickled of it. Carrots on be... top. Hey, you gotta that have a little the... brightness. So we my thing it. is, take a cast iron pan, put it on the stove. A little bacon fat, or a little butter, a little olive oil, whatever it is that your choice is. All three. And take your carrots. Um, literally, just put them right on the cast iron. Raw carrots. Sliced or whole? Whole, sliced, doesn't matter. But uh, if you leave them whole, you'll have more time to caramelize them. And the thing, one of the things we talk about here at the hot stove during our classes is being brave, right? Right. When you see darkness, dark caramelization, be okay with it. Enjoy it. Take it to the next level of caramelization. You can even burn them. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that are putting carrots right in the ash or something like that of a coal-fired uh, yeah. Grill, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And uh, you can burn the outside of the carrots and caramelize them. But anyway, take your cast iron pan, pop it right in the oven in a hot 450, 500 degree oven, and just caramelize, caramelize, caramelize. And you'll have this, it's literally like rock candy by the time they're cooked, right? Oh, yeah. So, carrots so on good. The, and then just sprinkle maybe a little yogurt or a little toasted uh, blackened cumin or yeah. something on top. Yeah. And don't forget, if you have extra carrots that are delicious, just juice them. Carrot juice is a great way to. It's a base for a soup. It's a base for your health. How do you make carrot soup delicious? I've made carrot soup carrot so many soup. times, and I, just, I never go back to it. My, my favorite way to, eat carrot, to, to take carrots, and you just juice them. Yeah, I you get You juice that. some ginger. You take the two together. You bring it to a bowl. You get a carrot. You don't thicken soup. it with anything? No, no, nothing. Just a nice broth. I mean, you'll have. Oh, okay. It's a nice carrot broth. Yeah, and that then, sounds gross to me. <laughs> I mean, I can actually drink carrot, like cold carrot juice, okay, I mean, that's Pamela's world. She, she loves all that green, juicy stuff. But for me, just a hot carrot broth doesn't sound good I think it's, a, I think it's delicious, but, it, you know. No, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying to me, well, I know you're to, not saying to I'm myself. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going there. You've yeah. never been wrong in the kitchen in your life. No, not that I remember. <laughs> Chicken stock, cream. Coriander, ginger, carrot soup, perfection. Yeah. Now that sounds better to me than just juiced carrots with juiced. Yeah. Well, it depends on what you're looking for. Maybe you should take some uh, (laughs) pointers from our producer. January is a very Uh, clean month for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, it's a good way to. uh, I mean, ginger juice is awesome for you, and carrot juice is nothing bad. It is in there. Yeah, but it's juice. It's not soup. 
You said soup. Well, you could warm it up and make that your lunch soup if you're trying to, uh, you know, kind of like uh, you're stretching back you're on stretching track or whatever. Uh, stretching to a place I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> what about that Lola carrot dish? Did you have that yet? It's I incredible. Did. But it's it's that what I kind of just described that kind of roasted, heavily roasted, uh, yeah. and the two sauces and the nuts. It was just it's, it's, it's perfect. It's good. But it falls a little bit into that category, a touch for me with restaurants and vegetables, where uh, we generally, uh, as Overdue chefs, want to add too much fat to it. Like the Brussels sprout craze that it's deep yeah. fried and then put with bacon and then it's full of... I mean, it's good, but it's not. It, you're eating the bacon, yeah, not, the, bit, not yeah. the Brussels sprout anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, but they're delicious and I love it. And, you know, I love the portion size is enough for dinner. As I, as I told them the other day, it's like, who's paying the food cost here? I think it's me. Tom, you, you make a, a Caesar salad with Brussels sprout. I do, across the, across the street. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great idea. I think that's a good oh, way to Brussels use... Brussels sprouts with Caesar dressing. It's, it's, it's more I'm sorry, like, yes. Yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean... It's, but still, that's, that's a great way to use Brussels sprout. It's a beautiful way to use it. We're, use, we're making carrots. But that's true, but I'm talking about the Brussels sprout because you just mentioned... I, I was mentioning that restaurants have a tendency to overfat correct vegetables because they think that's what's going to make them palatable to the public. And sometimes I just want a delicious... Coming up next week, carrot salad with Caesar dressing at Tom Douglas's restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next, next up, it's ideas. Uh, stick to the rib ideas with winter salads, warm squash, farro, tons of greens... And use those darn stems. That's one use of the, the stems. Uh, especially on the chard. We're, can't, we're can't having stems so tonight for dinner at New Year's Eve. I know we are because I put them on the menu. <laughs> I know. Yes, exactly. They're beautiful. If you're watching on Facebook right now and you're wondering what the hell is going on, New Year's was three weeks ago. Well, we had to cancel our New Year's party here at the hot stove because of the snow and Omicron. And uh, we are recreating it tonight here to a sold-out, excited audience. Winter salads, when we come back on Cairo, it's a hot stove society show. 97.3 FM. We are back. It's the hot stove society show on Cairo. Our producer, Pamela, has got grand ideos ideas on... Uh, on hearty winter salads that are stick to the ribs. And I was telling her that she's the only one that would describe a salad that way. So tell me about what in your mind is a stick to the ribs salad? I, I stole the title from Bon Appetit, so I'm not the only one that's saying that. It's got to be something like uh, the, the picture of the article I was reading had beautifully roasted squash. The thing right. that yeah. I hate the most is getting cold squash. Like, that is disgusting. Squash has to be roasted. Hey, we found something and she warm. <laughs> really? <laughs> but I think the winter salads are the perfect time to combine warm elements with crispy, crunchy, cold ones. And so... Stick to the ribs is from those carbohydrate sources, the farros, the potatoes, um, So you squashes. hate warm potato salad, too? I love warm. I mean, you hate cold potato salad? Or you- oh, I eat it in the summer. Okay. <laughs> but in the winter, they need to be warm. That's where the comfort comes from. I, I, kind, of, I from. kind of understand that. I mean, it's hard to get motivated eating something really cold with a lot of it. In front of you, when it's 40 degrees outside, it's kind of like, well, I'd like something hotter. I would prefer a soup. But you know, any, <laughs> I'll, I'll go to any extent to have some farro. 
So that is true. Yeah. Okay. Let's <laughs> make to me too. Let's I think make a couple have... of winter salads. Yes, Jeff, that are Kind of stick to your rib like. I totally agree with Pam on the squash. I mean, I, that's the, about the only area. Even farro doesn't feel stick to your ribs unless you're making kind of risotto style out of it to me. No. But uh, but uh, that squash mixed with a little chev, mixed with a little. I, I don't get the cold chunks in it that you just talked about, but. But a big okay, one. build us a beautiful one. I know. I was just thinking maybe so toasted uh, charred, uh, you know, wood or charred uh, radicchio, and then put the squash salad on top of that kind of cooked hard charred radicchio, like that you give good. a pan sear too, and delicious and just fennel. On top of that, <laughs> just some you know caramelized fennel, wispy caramelized fennel, yeah, squash, goat cheese. I'm a big fan of making uh, toasted barley and then cook it, yeah. cook it as a base, and then. Um, Roasted shallots, obviously, halves. You know, you roast those shallots, toss in a little bit of olive oil, put them in the oven. And then on the side of that, taking the squash, but in a squash, peeled, sliced, and uh, grilled. Just grill those pieces of squash. They grill really well, about a half an inch thick, or an eighth of an inch, an inch thick. Grill them on both sides, so you have now a tender, grilled um, piece of butternut squash. So extra light, you know, bring it up a little bit. And then toasted uh, pecan. And then, so pecan, shallots, and butternut squash. And then a nice little vinegary, um, white rice vinegar kind of dressing. Little Dijon mustard. And then um, safflower oil. Put that in together. And then you have a wonderful little hearty, hearty The pecans salad. And, and shallots, that, uh, that's yeah, a winner. Yeah, it's nice. And it's, it's winner and combo. The thing you can add to all this is obviously green. So right now there is... Um, Kale that are still, I still have a few kales left in my garden I can think of. Take those kale and julienne and quickly give it a quick sear in a very, very hot pan. Deglaze with just a little bit of red wine vinegar and throw that on top of it and mix it together. So now you have a balance of sweetness from the barley and um, the squash and then the, the acid from the kale sauteed. So you have a nice little balanced salad. Are you toasting the barley when it's still dry or after yeah. you cook it? Before Be- you cook it. Before you cook it. Yeah. yeah. You can buy it already toasted, too. Really? I hate to break it to you, Chef. Uh, wasting my time. Way back when, when I had my line of kitchen products with Amazon, uh, I had a mesh strainer with a lid to do, um, like, stir-fry vegetables, but over a wood fire, right? Right. So that you could shake it, and then right. nothing would come out, and blah, blah, blah. What I've taken to doing is I'll build a salad bowl. I'll take a salad, like a metal salad bowl, and I'll put in my... Shreds of, or whole leaves of escarole, but, escarole, but shreds of, say, fennel. Mm-hmm. Things that I get to a size where they're all going to cook about the same amount of time. A little olive oil, salt, pepper. And you take that and you build a fire in your in your charcoal grill. And you build a, a hot spot, right? Cause, and then I'll take that mesh grill. I'll put all that salad ingredient in the mesh and put it right over the hot spot of the grill. Oh, instant cooking, yeah. Oh, my. It is so delicious. Give it and, a nice little char. Yeah, let's say you're having a steak, right? And you you want that hot spot for your steak, too. So you get your steak cooked, but while it's resting, you do your salad prep. Uh, and and uh, it is just such a charming, delicious, uh, organic way to cook that people never do. When was the last time anyone in this audience took a mesh pan over a charcoal grill and cooked escarole? You just don't, right? But you could do that with chard. You could do it with uh, lots of things, zucchinis. Yeah. Uh, but anything. But it has to be. They have to be able to cook in about the same amount of time. So right. your prep is important in that world. But it only takes. It's less than five minutes. So then you pull it off. You squeeze lemon over top. Maybe a little flake salt. Uh, and you've got this delicious winter 
campfire kind of uh, charcoal vegetable. Yeah, dish. and this time of year, there's a, a vegetable that we never think about because people don't even think about it as a vegetable. Is onions. You know, you take onions and you peel them, cut them in half, throw them on the pan. When your oven is on, you're baking anything, you're roasting anything. Throw in a pan of onion, half onions, and put them in the oven with a little bit of salt, and then keep them in your kitchen, in your refrigerator, obviously. But this is a great, great tool to enhance anything you're doing. If you're doing a salad, you take those onions, you just swipe them a little bit, slice them a little bit, and then throw them in a saute pan, put that in with anything else to a salad, and you'll have a beautiful enhanced salad. Or even just as a garnish on top of a... You know, we're talking, if you're roasting anything, let's say you're roasting a piece of pork or you're roasting a chicken, you know, when you're serving that, you just take those onions and throw them, throw them right on top of the, the meat, and you've got a wonderful garnish to your chicken. So onions is something that we don't think about. You know, I always... In salads, always cooked onions in salads right, as much. Right, cooked yeah. onions in salad, and, and it's a great, you know, put a dash of vinegar on, on, some sauteed, on some roasted onions, and you've got some beautiful, you know, you've got a beautiful personality there. You know what? Uh, it's kind of trashy, but I like it. Uh, taco salads. I have a new taco spice out, so we've been playing with it, kind of coming up with recipes for our website. We were making taco salads. It's amazing how difficult it is to make a good is one. Is this Mexican? Taco I'm not salad? Mexican, no. Okay. Just, just making it, sure that... Just, I, mean, I don't know. Cause I'm, it's I don't a know. salad with taco meat on top. Oh. You've never had a taco salad, chef? No, I don't. Not that I know of. I eat taco all the time. You have make, lost we all make credibility taco. on this show. We make taco all the time. I've never made a taco taco salad. Anyway, I have a new taco rub. I'll, I'll be happy to sport you a jar, and uh, so, uh, maybe you can help me out here because we're struggling to make the perfect taco salad. My team wanted it to be vegetarian, so they were asking me to use impossible meat for the meat. Oh, can't I? Can't no. I? Can't do it. Just use goat like the rest of the world for crying out loud. I can't do it. Bring so. goat back. Use fish. The taco seasoning on a white fish. Annie and I We already decided. do on our tacos down at Seatown. Yeah, that is. It was pretty good. Did you like it? Delicious. Yeah. But for, for white fish, I thought it just brought the flavor up, and it was nice and limey and salty. Yeah. 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 Mm. So anyway, so yeah, you could use fish, but you could also not use Impossible. You could use mushrooms instead. To make a taco salad out of uh, chopped mushrooms. and There's lots of ways to go about not having to use the meat in it. Yeah, talking about those roasted uh, onions, onions and mushroom. Man, you got a beautiful base for so much to go with. Mm-hmm. Could go on your steak. Like what? Keep going. No, we're not making steak. We're making stick-to-the-rib vegetable well, I could definitely salads. use that with a farro salad. Yes. And some caramelized onion <laughs> yes. like that. And some, I mean, Jesus. That would be so good. You think well, right now that would be delicious and a little goat cheese. Are you too. hungry, chef? It sounds like you're a little hungry. I'm not hungry. I'm just yeah. thinking of good things, and when uh-huh. I do, I don't have to be hungry to eat. Look at me. Mm-hmm. I never uh, wait. What about uh, Pamela? Uh, one of my favorite things for lunch these days is a grain bowl with some sort of little something. I've never something. seen you eat a grain bowl. <laughs> Everybody, it's funny. Did you notice that the whole crew is laughing? What's going on, Tom? The whole crew is going. <laughs> I had a grain bowl yesterday with tempeh. <laughs> and I got it. It was delicious. I got it at Wajamaya's. Uh, you know, I haven't spent enough time there since their big remodel. And I had a I a can't nice, get used to it. I love it. Really? Yes, it's so much better. The only thing I don't like about it is it's still, it's a little cold. Yeah. It doesn't feel the warmth uh, exactly. yet. Exactly. They just need to do a little bit more stuff. They have that one big dragon head in there, and they need like 10 of them. Uh, to warm them up? <laughs> no, <laughs> to warm the it. atmosphere up a little bit. 
Yeah, breathing fire dragons. There you go. That'll warm things up. <laughs> the other thing they don't have up and running yet, which I know is their plan, is that over there where you transition from the grocery store to the gift shop area, uh, there's a kitchen set up there for tasting yes. this and that. But they just don't. I think with COVID, it kind of derailed that for a bit. But um, I think it's it's awesome. Do they still have the? Big I bought a nine dollar grapefruit there yesterday. One grapefruit. <laughs> How one, big was it? Because that's this as big as your head. Oh yeah, what? Yeah, yeah. No, that's it was nine bucks and it was in a pretty little wrapper. It's something I think for uh, the lunar New Year, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. So let's see if it's as big as my head. That's a three pound grapefruit. So that's three dollars a pound. That's not that's not crazy. It, it probably is. I, hate uh, to see the I would tree. say it's at least a two, two and a half pound. I grapefruit. hate to see the tree that carries those grapefruit. <laughs> Something tells me they're they're specialized. Yeah. Yeah. Each one has a little crutch underneath the, yeah. the the arm of the tree. So, all right, uh, Michelle Tam and Henry Fong are going to join us for two segments uh, with their new book, Nom Nom Paleo, and then celebrating the Chinese New Year's. Are we going to go right to them now, even before the break? They're here. All right, let's do it. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. We are back in the Hot Stove Kitchen. Downtown Seattle, we have a full house, and uh, we just fed the audience animals their sandwiches, so they're, they are chowing down crazy out there. Uh, how are those Dahlia Bakery... Egg sandwiches, okay? Yeah. Always crunches. Always crunches. Always good. Uh, we have a couple of segments uh, with some folks that are uh, here promoting their new book called Nom Nom Paleo. Let's go! Simple feast and healthy eats. And Pam, this was near and dear to your heart. You uh, literally called it the book of the century, but you've said that about a lot of things. Uh, so I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not saying Tom, anything other dumb. than you do... You you, uh, you 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 get excited. Excitement is good. That's something that's not my forte, and so I love when you get excited. So tell us why you're excited about this book. Well, we're really lucky to see a variety of cookbooks because Carrie Bachman uh, tells us what's happening out there in in the world. Who's well, she? Who's Carrie Bachman? Uh, what is is she a? A publicist? Yeah. Yeah, she's yeah. a publicist. A very, a very talented publicist. And so she pitched us on this one, and I had no idea until it got here the amount of energy and life and thoughtfulness that you poured into it. I was going through it with Chef Annie. She's so mad not to be here yet. She runs Hot Stove and uh, is a great cook, too, and a spitfire. And, and she looks like the person. And the she looks just like that. And she said, this is extraordinary, their take on these uh, recipes. And the way that you outlined them for special dietary habits, it's just beautiful. Congratulations. Everybody here has to buy it. Thank you. Wow, thank you. How's that for an introduction? Can we just go home now? Yeah. (laughs) I think I'm going to blurb that. I know. My first question is, how did that start? How did this start? Um, so we have been, you know, I've had a blog at nomnompaleo.com for 12 years now, and this is our third book, but it takes us like four or five years for each book because Henry designs it cover to cover. We shoot step-by-step pictures for all the recipes. He draws all these little cartoons of our whole family, and so it just takes a long time. Um <laughs> And so, Can't you just tell him to hurry up? <laughs> I wish, but he has a day job, and he oh, has a okay. very hard day job. And so he, he does all of this 
like design stuff on in the evenings and on the weekends. But with pandemic, he had all this time at home. <laughs> That's with, right. Yeah, more time than ever. <laughs> yeah, and so we were we worked on this a lot during pandemic and. It, it, it's filled with recipes that I missed eating because I couldn't see my family and we couldn't travel. Um, so I recreated a lot of my kind of favorite foods from growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area and making them paleo and, and gluten-free and grain-free and hopefully tasty. But it's not paleo per se, like you have to be paleo to enjoy this book, right? No. no. We joke that, or I joke that I'm only paleo on the internet. Like mm-hmm. in real life, um, I've discovered that I have to be gluten-free because I, you know, I, I never, th- like I actually, <laughs> one time we were at a restaurant years ago and I remember someone telling the chef like, oh, I have celiac. And I remember turning to Henry, I'm like, sure, but now... I'm that annoying person <laughs> because I do. I, I, I think the most important thing that um, I want people to do is I want them to cook their own meals, just like you guys are encouraging people to do. And I want people to actually pay attention to how food makes them feel um, and, you know, stick with the things that make you feel good. Mm-hmm. We really think of paleo as a starting point as opposed to an end point, right? So a lot of special diets are all about, okay, it has to be restrictive eating forever, uh, and that's not how we think of paleo. I think there are some people in the paleo community that might think that way. Mm-hmm. But for us, it's really just a starting point. It's a way of just eating clean for a short period of time so you can sort of identify what the baseline is. Right. And then you slowly reintroduce stuff, right? So for me, I've discovered over the years that I'm fine with gluten, unlike Michelle. Uh, I'm fine with dairy, unlike Michelle. And so I can actually incorporate those things back. And what we found a lot is that our readers who have followed us for 12 years now, a lot of them have gone through the same journey. And so what they end up doing now is they'll serve you know, foods that we present in our books, like the uh, paleo version of tzasiu, but they'll eat it with rice or they'll have... I, uh, you know, are uh, bolognese, but instead of serving it over zucchini noodles, they'll just say, like, I'm going to make a big pot of pasta and just right. serve it with that. And we're not only good with that, but we actually encourage people to mix and match. Well, I think it's true for anything. It's moderation in, mm-hmm. you know, balance. And then also, I like the idea of starting back from, you know, the beginning and say, okay, what do I need to watch for? And, and if you pay attention, it's not that hard compared contra- to Contrary to what people believe, I think it's not that complicated to start just for a few weeks, clean it up, and then, mm-hmm. you know, take one item at a time. I think it's a great concept. I mean, it, it teaches you and shows you how certain things affect you much more than you think or much more than you actually ever thought. Yeah, like, for sure. Like, I, I think when I went paleo the first time, like, I felt like I was in the Matrix and I had swallowed the red pill. I was like... How come I never how come I never paid attention to how food made me feel? Like how come I just ate things cuz people told me it was healthy? And like this whole time I just had all this GI stuff or my joints hurt or you know all this stuff and then it all kind of magically went away when I just kind of stuck to eating, you know, kind of basic real food that is nutrient dense. Mhm. But I still love, I mean, I'm such a foodie and I love traveling just for food. There's a phrase in Cantonese called waisik, 
which means I live to eat. And it's, it also has this like connotation that I'm a glutton, which it, so it perfectly <laughs> encompasses perfectly who I am. True. Yeah, it's yeah. perfectly true. And so I love to eat and I'm super picky, but I'm a lazy cook. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I try to put in my, I always think of myself as the, the reader of my cookbooks because I don't want to cook. I'm really busy, but I want it to taste good. So what would make me actually cook this meal? And I'm like, well, step-by-step pictures, you know, some encouraging, you know, words from like little cartoon characters, like dad jokes, um, butt jokes, fart jokes. Yes. All those things, all those things are in there. Every book does have at least one or two butt jokes. And we, we include those because we secretly design our cookbooks to appeal to kids. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of parents want their kids to eat healthy, and, they, they, and they're so tired of saying, eat this, eat this. But we want it to be so easy that they can just kind of leave a book on their coffee table, and their kids will just kind of naturally gravitate it because it's like a bright like green book or bright red book. And then they open it up, and it's filled with cartoons and you know, step-by-step pictures. So maybe they'll be like, hey... You know, mom or dad, can you show me how to make this? Like, I can help you with this, and we can kind of cook this together. Mm-hmm. Oh, they can make it on their own, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That is the dream. Yeah. No, so, but they, you know what? It's not far-fetched from, I think, the old habits of wanting to force somebody to eat anything. With a, you know, it's like nobody likes that kind of attitude because eventually you're going to find something you really don't like, and mm-hmm. that's going to be the only thing you're going to have stuck in your head is, I hate broccoli. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You know, and and turns out to be that, Oh, look, you can make broccoli this way, and it's actually super fantastic. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's not one shoe fits all, and I, and I think it's very cool. And you made a book that's making it open for everybody to try to get into it. So, the first thing I thought of when I saw this book was Jacques Pepin's. You remember his yeah. I very have first those. books? I have them too. Yeah, like I have, La Method and La Technique. Yeah, La yeah. Technique. And they re- really reminded me those kind of step by step pictures that he put in his. Uh, but the interesting, and hopefully this happens for you too, is uh, I own first edition signed copies of both of those, and they're each worth over fifteen hundred dollars now. <laughs> you know, I do have used editions of them. They're not signed, uh-huh. but they probably made. They may be. You got to be first them. edition too. That's where know, the real value is. Yeah. But see, first editions have all the errors. I actually don't want like the first editions of our books. They have all the boo boos in it You're, that you correct in subsequent. Yeah, but you know, you know what's cool is you get a first edition and you pen you pencil yeah. all the mistakes. Uh, we would never have errors in our book. No. <laughs> when we come back, let's talk a little bit about some recipes for the new year coming up here. Okay, you awesome. good with that? Okay. Yeah. All right, you're coming from uh, the Hot Stove Society here, downtown Seattle. It's uh, Hot Stove Radio on. Cairo, 97.3 FM. Welcome back after that nice long break here at the Hot Stove Society. We're continuing our uh, conversation with Michelle Tam and Henry Fong. We also have, don't forget, the end of this hour, Food for Thought, Tasty Trivia. Uh, We're going to have a little bit of time with Kenji Lopez-Alt and his new book, uh, and, of course, uh, we're talking right now about Nom Nom Paleo. Let's go simple feast and healthy eats. Michelle and Henry's uh, third book. Uh, and, Pamela, if you missed uh, the last segment, Pamela calls it the book of the century. <laughs> what I really like about it uh, from the Hot Stove Society perspective is that when we leave our class together with the folks that we're talking with, we want them to leave with things that they're going to keep in their repertoire or in their mind when they make maybe not even the same dish for the rest of their cooking 
life, right? And so that's one of the things when you do what you do in this book, which is kind of pictures for every step of the way, it really drives home for people technique, which is what makes people better cooks. So that's awesome. Yeah, that vignette, those little vignettes in that in each recipe is very, very cool, very helpful, well presented, fun. It's not scary, it's more fun. But it's also giving you all the detail that make the difference between, like Tom said, between a cook and a and a, and a home cook, you know, between a professional and a, and a home cook. So it's really nice. It's like helps you cross that bridge for home cooks. It's cool. Yesterday I was at Wajamaya and I bought a three pound, nine dollar grapefruit uh, in honor of the new year. And of course, the, the Lunar New Year is upon us, uh, coming upon us in the next week or two. Uh, you have some recipes in this book that people can make to help celebrate that uh, I mean, it's the biggest holiday of the year in Asia, if I'm not mistaken. It is. It is like the big, it is like, well, it's not Thanksgiving. It is kind of like Thanksgiving. It's like the big eating, the big eating holiday. Everybody has it off. All the kids get money. So like, it's just a very. Our kids are excited. Yeah, everyone's excited. Like literally they get envelopes filled with cash. Mm -hmm. And that ends when you get married. So (laughs) I don't know why we got married. So live a a rich single life. Exactly. (laughs) Um, But there are lots of recipes in here that you can, you know, cook up for a healthier Chinese New Year. And I actually purposely put them in there because we weren't able to celebrate Chinese New Year the last two years. No, I think, I think. We were able to celebrate in 2020 because it was right before mm-hmm. pandemic happened. Mm-hmm. And then 2021, we couldn't do it. And I think this year we also can't technically do it. Um, but I have a paleo pot sticker recipe in there because dumplings are a huge thing. And I really miss dumplings. So I worked really hard to come up with a grain-free paleo wrapper that actually... I think works pretty well. Like it's been tested by thousands of people because it's a blog favorite. Um, grain fruit free is different than gluten free, right? It's both. It's, it's gluten free and grain free. Okay. So it's made mostly with cassava flour um, and a little arrowroot powder, but it's kind of the same technique. You use kind of the hot boiling water. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit harder to work with, I think, than wheat flour, but. You know, you can make it work. But Is that because it crumbles? It does. It can. Yeah. And so I think it's people... It's drier, yeah. Yeah, and people worry about how much liquid. And it is kind of this weird thing where you just kind of add a little bit at a time because all of a sudden it's too much yeah. liquid. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think the step-by-step photos really help too because you can actually visualize it and see, okay, this is the texture mm-hmm. that yes. we're aiming for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's definitely a dish that, I mean... I think a lot of Asian parents and grandparents aren't necessarily super effusive effusive with their emotions, but food <laughs> food really is a way that I think my parents and my grandparents showed me that they loved me. Like and I think a dumpling is a perfect example of that because it takes so much time to wrap every single one and you know, it takes like 10 dumplings to feed a single person. Mm-hmm. Right. And so depending Or in my case yeah, or a even few, more. A few exactly, more. Exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. Ten every, times three? Yeah, exactly. Like a child can eat ten, but like an adult, you know. show you a lot of love when they make mm-hmm. those stuff. But it's also something that you make together as a family because it is hard work to, like, wrap a hundred right. dumplings. And so it is something that bonds everyone together. And the ones that kids make are the ones that kind of explode in the pan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, you know, so there's that recipe. There's a chicken chow mein recipe. I have a... Cantonese paypot duck, which is kind of like a Cantonese roast duck, mm-hmm. but it's spatchcocked. But I have a marinade that is soy free 
And I think it passes pretty well. And I have some Cantonese egg tarts um, that I made. I saw paleo. the picture. What are the yeah. dinton? What are those? Dan tots. Dan tots. Yeah. yeah, and that was definitely a dish where I was like, I don't think I can make this. But then pandemic hit. I'm like, I'm going to make this because I really miss this. And I can't make sourdough, so I'm going to make these Cantonese egg tarts. Mm-hmm. I think Michelle has talked about how this book, more so than the last two books, are really a love letter to the foods that she grew up with, the immigrant cultures in the San Francisco Bay Area that she grew up with. So it's Cantonese food, a lot of Latin American foods, South Asian foods. But there's a lot of East Asian and specifically Chinese and Cantonese recipes in here, some of which are actually pretty obscure. So you have like this stewed uh, shiitake mushroom recipe, which is actually kind of a Lunar New Year celebration food. Uh, but it isn't something that you would necessarily find in a lot of restaurants. It's something that you know you find on a family table, and so being able to recreate that for the book, I remember, was a was a big deal for you. Or and I like liked being able to call sauces. it holy shiitake. Yes, yeah. <laughs> our kids like that too. Yeah. Kids love that. Yeah. Did you spell it in three words? <laughs> yeah, I know. So what's your, what's your technique? How do you make this dish? So the whole so that uses. I have this kind of. Master, I love shiitake. Yeah, yeah I me have too. A, I have a master sauce mm-hmm. called all-purpose stir-fry sauce, and because I'm a lazy cook, I try to use it in all the things. Mm-hmm. Not just stir-fries. Not just stir-fries, and so you just use this. This sauce, and you have to get some really high-quality dried shiitake mushrooms, the really fat... A donko. Well, here's the key, what you just said, though, because people don't... Caucasians don't buy these. Yeah. Right? We always think fresh mushroom, we buy the fresh mushroom, but the dried mushroom gives you a whole other texture. Yes. Yes. And it is is a very specific texture that I love um, and I'm used to as a kid. And dried shiitake mushrooms have exponentially more umami than fresh shiitake mushrooms. And like for, I, I, I don't even think I had fresh shiitake mushrooms until later because that wasn't a thing right. until like the last maybe 20 years. Well, a lot years. of Asian families, you go to the Asian supermarket and you actually find the plumpest donko shiitake mushrooms, yeah. Yeah. which are the ones that really are thick and sort of right. you know, puff up because and they're harvested. And they have harvested. like a little flour on but the top. But as a cook, I was just the opposite. I was always looking yeah. for the yeah. fresh mushroom, right? Yeah, and and I never dry. understood maybe until 15, 20 years ago that there's a, there's a reason for the dried ones, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's meatier when it's reconstituted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't have that kind are... of weird slimy texture well, yeah, that shiitake can have. Yeah, it's got that chewy. I had some, no, no joke, we had some yesterday with a pho. Kathy made a pho. Mm. And we had a half a pint of dried shiitake in the cupboard. And I'm like, hey, use those. You know, that'd be great. And um, it's so delicious because it gives, it's got like almost like a little spongy. It's almost like oysters, like dried yeah. oysters, which is also something that's very popular with, you know, Cantonese eaters. Um, but, I mean, I think it's probably, it's a, they dried it for preservation, but it also increased the flavor. Correct. Um, but that texture, for me, is just such a childhood thing, and I love it. It's almost, it's almost like really good gummy bears. I know it's all weird. <laughs> but, but or abalone. My, or abalone. <laughs> abalone. But my, my friend, my friend who recipe tested, who is like, a, you know, a white girl... <laughs> who is a chef, she was like, I don't know about this texture. I was like, that's okay. I, I, I know this might be fun. Yeah. yeah, but this is, but to me, this is, yeah. this is it. They remind actually, me of pig's ear. <laughs> yeah, and I love that too. There's like lots of things that, that Cantonese people eat that a and lot so of people... you stew it, right? Yeah, so you stew it in that, that sauce and it's just delicious and you can keep it in the fridge and you can slice it up. I have a ramen recipe that I throw it in but you can put it on sandwiches right. but it gets like a nice kind of pickly, sour 
subtly sour, but it's like savory and sweet and really Well, tasty. people are just going to have to figure it out for themselves. Yes. Getting your book, Nom Nom Paleo, Let's Go, Simple Feast and Healthy Eats. Uh, all the art and uh, charming little bits and pieces are by... By Henry, and then Michelle is the chefy type uh, that's put all the recipes together. And not a chef, I'm just a home cook. Chefy type, yeah. <laughs> chefy type, I like. I that. think she's a chef. Yes. Uh, you're listening to Cairo. We wish you the best of luck on your yeah. book and, and happy the new year. year. Yep. Thank you so much. And uh, come back again anytime. Oh, it's been our pleasure. All right, good. Uh, it's the Hot Stove Society show. Up next, it's uh, Kenji Lopez Alt right here in the kitchen on Cairo Radio 973 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotero, the chef in the hat. And we are, uh, as, uh, as usual, excited to have you here. Excited to have our audience back in the house after a year and a half of... Uh, it was lonely. Yeah, we've had a live audience for how long now? Two months. Two months now. It's been great fun to have you all back. Thank you for your participation. Uh, let's see. There's uh, an unknown... Somebody that we made famous on this show maybe a couple <laughs> years ago. Uh, his name is Kenji Lopez-Alt, uh, famous from Serious Eats and the probably the top-selling cookbook of the last 100 years yeah. <laughs> called The Food Lab. Um, congratulations on all your successes. Yeah, you. congratulations. And um, I haven't seen you since you moved to Seattle because you're, you're a snob. You won't call us. And because, because everything was closed. We've been uh, holed up, you yeah, know? Okay. <laughs> anyway, you've moved up from the Bay Area. Yeah. I think, did you say, did I hear that your wife got a job at Amazon or something like that? Uh, no. She, well, she actually left her previous job when we moved. We didn't, we didn't have, she didn't have a job Oh, when we I moved thought that's here. why you moved. But, uh, uh, no, she, uh, we moved because we love Seattle. Oh, okay. <laughs> but she's working now for Square. For Square? Yeah. Yeah, fun. Uh, tell us about your life. I see you pop up in the newspaper once in a while. I don't know if you've got a steady gig <laughs> with the Times or... Uh, well, yeah, I've got a steady gig with the New York Times. Um, I took a little bit of time off because we just had another baby. Um, Congrats. So, uh, yeah, thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. He's, You're having uh, babies. I'm having grand- grandkids. <laughs> yeah. Um, probably more fun. Grandkids, less work, right? Passing them <laughs> off, baby. Pass them back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I've been spending a lot of time uh, raising my daughter and now raising my son. So mm-hmm. um, stopped working full time at Serious Seats when my daughter was born um, and I've mainly been focusing on cookbooks. Uh, my new book is coming out in March. Uh, it's called The Walk uh, uh-huh. and then children's book. So I had a children's book that. Children's book that came out last year, and I'm going to be working on a couple more as well. Mm-hmm. Serious Eats, uh, which is where I got to know you, uh-huh. our friend uh, uh, Ed Levine, uh-huh. uh, and you and a, a few other fine folks started that website. Uh, it's now owned by a company on Mercer Island still? Or did they uh, They sell? actually just sold it. They just yeah, sold. It's, got, it's been sold twice now. So, uh-huh. <laughs> so And each time it gets sold, my, my uh, connection to it weakens a little although yeah. although i'm still i think technically the uh, chief culinary consultant there mm-hmm. um, and daniel gritzer who is uh, who basically took over my job there when i moved to the bay area um, has been there consistently so uh-huh. you know the recipe content is still uh, awesome. the best out yeah. there yeah mm-hmm. tell us about how you got going in your life I, we got a couple of segments so we'll get mm-hmm. to the walk-in in just a minute but sure. t- tell us about your career your career arc and uh, how it is that you came to enjoy the process of Debunking myths, uh, essentially, right? You're, you do That's so much testing, do, yeah. right? That's what people love about your book is that you've tested, tested, tested. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, an example for me was calling BS on your from frozen to cooked when it came to a rack of lamb or a mm-hmm. steak or anything like that. And it works perfectly. Mm-hmm. And I would never have tried that unless you had tried that <laughs> 
you know, many, many times, right? So yeah. um, tell us about how you kind of got interested in that. Well, you know, I, I started cooking when I was in college um, and uh, – you know, a summer, it was a summer job. My first cooking job was a summer job. Um, and then basically I, I fell in love with restaurant kitchens. So I was working part-time all through college and then went straight into restaurants when I graduated. But, um, you know, my education growing up, my, you know, I come from a family of scientists. And so just the language ah. of science and, and, you know, the process of That's how you get the mud scientist in you. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> you know, the, so we were always encouraged to figure out how things work and why things work and test things, et cetera. Um, you know, and I spent, I spent while, a while working in biology labs doing science before I started cooking. Um, and so, you know, when I was in restaurants, um, especially back then, you know, this was 20 years ago, and I'm, maybe even before you started your career. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I, think, um, I think things have shifted a lot in those last 20 years, but especially back then and, even before, and, and certainly before that, a lot of the attitude in restaurant kitchens was you don't ask questions, you do exactly what you're told. Like, you do it this way because that's the way the chef said to do it. Correct. Right? And so if you start asking questions, people tell you to stop asking questions, put your head down and work. Um, and so, you know, for me, um, in the, you know, I, I had a lot of great chefs and, a lot of, and worked in a lot of good restaurants um, and, and certainly learned a lot. But um, there's always this side where it's like, well, I wish I just had the time to ask, like, why are we, why are we cooking the pasta like this? You know, mm-hmm. like, I know it works. I just want to know why. Um, and so, um, you know, as I was working in restaurants, I kind of had these big lists of questions that I wanted to answer. Um, uh, and so eventually when I switched over to the you know, recipe development and writing side, I took a job with uh, Chris Kimball at yeah. um, America's oh. Test Kitchen. Um, that was like sort of like the, you know, the, the moment I was like, oh, like I can, I, can, I can get paid yeah, to do this. I, yeah. would, I, would, I would hate to see both of you in a, in, a, in a room, in a kitchen with a chef. The chef be like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And you be, both of you be like, what? Why? You know, that's a little bit the basis of this, of our show, is that Terry and I come from cooking from very different backgrounds, right? Mm-hmm. He was an apprentice, classically trained, blah, blah, blah. Talking I'm about always, not talking. Yeah. yeah. I was always a seat in my pants. Let's try this. Let's try that. And um, He's much more perfect. And I'm much more, I wouldn't say I'm hit or miss, but I, I'm much imperfect. more. Imperfect. Uh, imperfect, yeah. <laughs> the opposite of perfect. Yeah, no, that's cool. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that's kind of how we uh-huh. ended up uh, becoming friends is that he would do all this crazy stuff that he was taught to do. And I was like, why? You know, why, why do you do that? And, yeah, uh, and I We've met really, in kind of a happy really, middle somewhere, haven't no, we? No, but I really enjoyed the, the question, you know, the why. Mm-hmm. I love that. I mean, I've always been a curious George, too. So yeah. Um, I think I would have been a mad scientist if a different route would have been made. But um, I love the and, – and because of that and being in this country, you can't be here or in the States and not ask why because right. that, that's the opportunity you have here. Mm-hmm. In many other – where I come from in France, you don't discuss why is it that – you know, you put this in a copper pot versus a non-copper right, pot. Right. You know, you don't discuss that. Because you do. Because somebody told you that's, <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah. And then, then you realize it's bunker stuff, you know. It's like, yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes, I mean, most, often, I mean you'll, works, most yeah. often you'll find that things that are traditional work. Um, and, you know, w- once you start testing things, you find that 99% of the time, all right, there's a good reason why this is done the way it is. It might not be the reason why your chef told you right. is, is why it's done, but there's a reason why you do it this way. Correct. Um, but then there, there's that 1% of time when you're like, oh, here's like a different way you can do it or a better way or whatever. And, you know, and especially when you're writing for a home cook, um, what you find is a lot of times techniques and recipes are written by chefs who have a very different set of parameters than what a home cook does. You know, so operating a restaurant kitchen... Yeah, 400 about, dinners in three hours. Exactly. Yeah, it's about yeah. consistency. It's about being able to prep things so that your fire time is smaller and all these things. Whereas 
when you're cooking for four people at home and you have to say, you know, put dinner on on the table at six o'clock as opposed to put dinner on the table four minutes after somebody mm-hmm. orders it. Right. Um, you have a, you have a very different set of parameters, so you can you know, home cooking is very different from restaurant cooking. So a lot of techniques that are developed for restaurant cooking or by chefs don't necessarily um, apply and, to home cooking. And I would say to that, then a lot of chefs don't know how to write recipe for home cooking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, they write recipes having... and the guy at home has no idea what you're talking about because you say, oh, yeah, seal this and, you know, put it in the oven yeah. at 400 degrees. Well, there's other step that allows you to make this better. Right. You right, know, right. those steps are often forgotten to be written. Uh, you've been on the forefront of the change from cookbooks to online uh, through Serious Eats. Yeah. Uh, you've seen it probably in your own book sales. I know my book sales, you know, my, my daughter the, uh, is like, she walks around the kitchen with her phone in her face right. doing a recipe. I said, sweetie, I, I wrote a book on that. It's like right up there on the shelf. Is oh, no, I'm fine. You and the then, then yeah. watches her phone and, and reads your recipe, right? Um, <laughs> uh, and my wife is, loves your recipes too, but where do you see this going? Because um, a lot of the books that are coming out now are more conversational. Right. Instead of just recipe, recipe, recipe. Right, and, right. Uh, uh, Where do you see this whole so, world you know, going? As far as, like, the publishing industry goes, I think cookbooks have had it relatively easy because there's still, there's, you know, there's still a technological barrier to cooking while you have your phone in your hand and, like, having, you know, having, like, a greasy fingers or splatter or whatever. Like, there's still, like, a healthy chunk of people who want the physical book that they don't mind getting dirty. Um, and and if, you, if you look through, you know, through the pandemic cookbook sales skyrocketed during the pandemic, um, I think specifically because of that. But but certainly there's a lot more moving in the other direction. Um, I think right now, I mean, the big thing is video. Um, like I started, I, well, I started a YouTube channel years ago, but then during the pandemic, it just like, pff, like yeah. shot off. Um, and so, yeah, this is actually the first year where just like YouTube revenue is actually like, I'm, that's like my main source of income now. Isn't which that is crazy? Weird. Yeah. <laughs> like I never, yeah, like I'm officially like a YouTube creator, which is like... <laughs> Just a weird job description. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think it all goes hand in hand because um, when my YouTube um, views started going up, then book sales started going up as well. So I, I think there's still certainly life left in cookbooks um, until, you know, until they develop uh, e-ink cookbooks that, that can get splattered and dirty and, and yeah, pass do it on for to you. children or whatever. A cookbook you know? that, you know, say order the ingredients for this recipe and then it's just like next thing you know it's being delivered to your house. Yeah. Uh, when we come back, let's talk about your new book, um, The Walk, Recipes and Techniques. Uh, I would imagine that there's as much science in this as there was in Food Lab. Yep. Look, <laughs> Maybe not quite as much, but, you know, there's a little more history and culture in, in there as well. But, yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's definitely definitely more science than in most uh, my my favorite walk saying about a walk yeah. is the breadth of the walk. Uh-huh. There's a we book out called that. that, right? Yeah, Grace Young's book. Is great. Yeah, and I just love that concept because I don't think people understand generally that a, what a walk is offering with that thin steel. So when we come back, let's talk about that on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, ninety-seven three. We're back in the kitchen with Kenji Lopez Alt. I have no idea what the J stands for. James. James, James Kenji yeah. Lopez. Uh, you can call me Jimmy if you want. There you go. Uh, your new book, uh, you're famous for the Food Lab, right? And you're famous for your work on Serious Eats. And uh, I think the New York Times food page, as we often say on this show, is the best food page in America. Uh, and you're part of that. Uh, so you've got your fingers on a lot of pies. Uh, tell us about this book uh, and The Walk in particular and what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, well, so so the wok obviously an, an ancient cooking device, but it, it's also I think 
Well, in my kitchen, at least, it's the most used pan. I've had the same wok for since college for 20, too, 25 yeah. years, something like that. Um, and uh, and it's, it's easily the most used pan in my kitchen. Um, and so when I was writing the Food Lab, um, the original manuscript for that, there was actually a chapter on cooking in a wok. And if, and if you open that book and the beginning of it, there's still, like I think, a two- or three-page spread explaining why I think woks are the best pan because they're so versatile you can do you, know, you can fry in them you can stir fry you can braise you can sear there's all these different you can smoke you can steam steam yep steam all these different things you can do in a wok um, and then uh, because of length we ended up cutting about half of the original food lab thinking alright well, we'll we'll make a second volume at some point and one of the parts that got cut was the wok chapter um, and so when I started writing the second volume of the food lab um, I, I, I was I started with the wok chapter um, and I got up to you know, like maybe 120 pages of stuff. And I was like, I haven't even, I've, I've done like six recipes in here so far because there's so much about the technique and the science and the history of it to talk about. Um, and I haven't even gotten past stir fries yet. Uh, so I called up my editor and I was like, Hey, let's just, let's just write a walk book that like, mm-hmm. that makes a lot more sense because there's just so much you can do with it. Um, and I think, uh, there's also a lot of, I think sort of misconception about how, about walk cooking in the U S um, especially. So I think a lot of people are convinced that you can't cook in a walk on a, home burner right mm-hmm. you, they think oh you need that like big chinese restaurant 50,000 BTU 65,000 BTU flame to be able to cook properly in a wok um but the reality is that there are like literally billions of people in the world who cook in a wok every day on a regular home burner or, or a portable burner, you know, something that puts out right. 10, 15,000 BTU. Um, and so there's this whole wealth of wok cooking and techniques and dishes that um I think if you just grew up in the US and are only familiar with food from Restaurants um, that you might not realize. Oh, this is like actually a really versatile home cooking tool as well. Um, and so my goal with this book was um, not to focus on regional Chinese cuisine or regional Japanese or Thai because there are a lot of great books out there already. You know, you, you mentioned Breath of the Walk by Grace Young. Grace Young has. I just love that term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But she, I mean, she's a wonderful writer. You know, there's Fuchsia Dunlop's books. So there's a lot of books that where you, if you're interested in specifically Chinese cuisine. Um, you can get there, but what I wanted to do was write a book that's more about the breadth of the the breadth of the walk instead of right, the breadth right, of the walk. Right, you know, right. the, the breadth of different cuisines you can do, um, particularly with a focus on things that um, an American audience would be familiar with. So there's a lot of there are you know some classic Chinese dishes in there as well, um, classic Japanese dishes, but there's also a lot of Chinese American stuff um, and things that. Um, uh, you know, I think are looked at through uh, an American lens as opposed to someone trying to be strict to a, a particular regional mm-hmm. cuisine. So uh, I have a carbon steel wok. You know, mm-hmm. I've had it just just as long. It was seven or ten dollars uh, in in Chinatown when I bought right. it many moons ago. Uh, I love it. I yeah. love it. It makes me feel good when I use it. Uh, I do I am one of those people that is concerned about trying to cook for too many people at one time on a home burner, although right. I have a commercial stove at home, so it's a little bit different. <laughs> uh, but um, but how do you use a wok on a 13,000 BTU burner if you're trying to get to that yeah, really hot sear, and you're cooking for more than one person? Yeah, so, so I mean, if you're specifically you after um, a dish that, you know, that features that wok hay, that, that smoky quality that is you know something like um like a like a dry fried cantonese beef chow fun or fried rice something where you want that kind of smoky quality to it um there's a couple there's a couple tricks around it so um you know in, in researching this um what i what i found was that there are there are basically three elements that bring that that flavor that wok hay flavor and and of course depending on who you ask you know some people say wok hay is is only a restaurant thing and it has to do with the environment of the restaurant or it has to do with mm-hmm. the sounds involved you know and so they see it as a much more as something beyond simply flavor. Um, but for me, what I found is that 
The three elements that bring it are, first of all, um, the vaporization of oil. So when you, when you toss your food, you have this column of air coming in the back, you know, a hot column of air coming up the back, um, and, and the flames will actually leap into the wok. Um, and so in something like French cuisine, you know, if we, if I, when I was working in a French restaurant, if we were pan-searing a steak and the flame went into the pan, you throw it all out because you don't want that kind of burnt oil, smoky flavor, um, whereas, whereas with, a, with a wok, you often do want um, the oil to literally catch fire, um, and just part of the it's part of the profile. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. it's just like just like a hamburger on a right. grill. The, mm-hmm. the fat drips down, the fat singes, and it leaves cancer on your hand, tasty cancer on the surface <laughs> of your hamburger. Um, it is tasty. That's the bottom line. So it that, might be that's cancer part too. of it. Um, another part is is the reaction between carbon steel. So, so the uh, you know the uh, when you. When you have a well-seasoned carbon steel pan, there's this layer of blackened black oxide and polymers, um, and the reaction between that and the food also cre- and, and oil also creates a flavor that's unique. So you can't get that flavor from like a stainless steel pan or right. a nonstick pan. Um, it's just it just has to do with the um, the particular um, the patina on the metal. Right. Um, what you then, cook last a little bit. What's that? What you cooked last. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and then the um, and then the last thing is is searing sauces. So um, a lot of times, um, you know, the way I used to cook in a wok when I when I was first starting and didn't have too much, you know, didn't have very good technique. I would if I had my sauce like soy sauce, whatever the wine, whatever it is I was adding, I would have my food there. I would pour it in. Um, and then what happens if you just pour it on top of the food is it kind of drips down the food and slowly gets into the pan and steams. Whereas if you watch a professional Chinese chef cooking, what they'll do is they'll drizzle it around the edge of the wok mm-hmm. so that it immediately sears and it creates these seared flavors. It's similar, like if you've had, um, if you've seen like um, uh, these Mexican techniques where you sear a salsa, right? Like you have, mm-hmm. you have salsa, you preheat a pan with some oil really hot and you pour the salsa in and it does this like rapid bubbling, it changes color and it changes flavor. Um, and so that flavor also is, is part of um, that, that wok hay, that intensity, that kind of smokiness. So by combining those three things, now to do it at home, um, it's difficult to get that column of air, and, and especially for a home cook who's, who doesn't have a very powerful gas burner, or maybe they're cooking with electric or induction, um, then it's impossible to get that flame inside. So um, what I recommend in those situations is either, um, either if you have access, you can get an outdoor burner. They're relatively inexpensive. Um, but if you want to do it in a regular home kitchen, um, all you need is, like a, is a, um, a butane torch. And so what you do is you would cook in small batches so that your pan retains its heat. Um, so you, you would say cook all your vegetables Take them out. Yeah. All your meat, take them out. Um, spread them out onto a sheet tray on top of your stovetop, and then take your um, your blowtorch and just torch it. Mm-hmm. Right. So literally, so bring, you get bring that the fire. Flavor, exactly. yeah. so well, you get char, but you also get a, in a funny way. You get a little gassy quality. Of yeah, food. exactly. Yeah. So, so with something like you know, if you've been to a sushi restaurant where they torch the sushi, mm-hmm. if they do it poorly. Then the fat jumps off, it catches fire, and it drips back on the fish, and it tastes like gas. Soot. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it tastes yeah. like soot. Um, but but again, like that's a flavor that you don't want on sushi, but you do want in your chow fun. Yeah. Right. So. And it also lets you sort of do things in advance. It's like I can cook my vegetables, my meat, have them ready so then when everyone's at the table and ready to sit down, all I have to do then at the end is put everything back in the wok, add my sauce, toss yep. it and it's, you know, it's ready to go. So it makes it makes actually serving dinner a lot easier. Right. Mm-hmm. I love it. I mean, it's so versatile. I, I uh, do smoking in mine all the time. I keep my pear chips or wood cherry chips or whatever mm-hmm. I have. With the cookie rack and the lid of the wok, and it's just it's a perfect little multi-use tool. Yeah, uh, and it works well with steaming too. Just a little bit of water, and yeah, you know, yeah, and, and put a bamboo bamboo steamer on top of that. And I think it's interesting. I always sit by the door in Chinese restaurants. I always sit by the kitchen door because I've, I've learned tons that way of uh, right. technique and and this and that. And uh, how many times you watch that all the food is in, out of the wok and they're making their sauce. 
uh, just like what you said, but mm-hmm. if you're making a black bean sauce or whatever, but it's it's like a separate dish, and then they add everything back to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super. Yeah, fun. you know one one of the things um, one of the things you I think I noticed as as I was writing this book, um, particularly about you know. Um, Asian cuisine versus Western cuisines is that um, with Western cuisines, a lot of times you're you're sort of slowly building up flavors by, say, roasting meats and then searing them and then slowly reducing and concentrating. Um, whereas with Asian cuisines, and particularly with like something like Japanese cuisine, um, your your main ingredient is typically cooked really fast, mm-hmm. um, and the, so all the flavor development you're doing. Um, is by adding fermented products, by adding separate sauces that that are intense in flavor, and you have to, of course, blend them and balance them properly. But a lot of the flavor, rather than coming from uh, the way you would do in French cuisine, where it's reducing and browning and things like that, um, you're instead getting, you're instead building in flavors through processes like fermenting and right. adding, mar- it, adding it to the dish as opposed to creating it on exactly yes. reducing. So it's a sort yeah. of different approach to okay. One to question flavor. off the subject: Logan Ma. Spicy Chili Crisp mm-hmm. or any other brand out there on the market? <laughs> you know, Lagama is, is, is great. The one thing I found with it is sometimes you get a funny tasting batch because I think it's the canola oil in there. It goes rancid really easily. So sometimes oh, I, I think it was the MSG. It's like fishy, but, um, but no, Lagama is great. I think Fly by Jing is wonderful if you've uh-huh. had that. Mm-hmm. Um, Have you had the local one yet, Kari Kari? I know I it's have, pretty you know, good. I've seen I've seen it around and I've been meaning to pick it up. Yeah. I haven't tried it yet. Really yeah. crunchy. I turned Terry. I, I he always says the bad Japanese. things that I've turned him on to, like Kentucky Fried Chicken, but he doesn't mention the good <laughs> that things. That wasn't like no, spicy wait, chili. Crisp. Did I say it was bad? I never said it was bad. I just went. Just We've been talking with Kenji Lopez all his new book, The Walk: Recipes and Techniques. I got to tell you, uh, if you're a fan of his work from the Food Lab. Uh, you're you're going to love it's more of the same and delicious a little bit more pictures I think to me if you want to explore a new cooking technique in your life and you want to explore it from the ground up this is the book to get will you stay with us for some trivia yeah all right, all right. Chef Terry said he's going to kick your patootie no way I that's never what he said, said when you weren't here I said I was leaving said. when I heard you were possibly it's the Hot Stove Society Show 97.3 FM We're back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. Time for Food for Thought. Tasty trivia. <laughs> trivia is brought to you today by uh, Rub with Love. Tasty spice rubs, sauces, and mustards. They're versatile. They're small batch. They're everything that you could do in a warehouse in Ballard, right where, I, right where we make them. Look for them in your local grocery store and specialty shops. Uh, Wajamaya had them yesterday when I was there. Payless Foods in Freeland, Washington. Jensen's Fine Foods. In the greater Palm Springs area, I know there are Jensen's in Wilmington, Delaware, for that for that much. Or stop by our places, of course. Seatown has the entire selection, uh, and of course online. So, uh, Pamela, will you tell our listeners how to play the game and who our winner is going to be? And I know that we have this young man going to come up, and because Kenshi didn't feel confident that he could take us <laughs> on, so we got him a helper. Come on up. <laughs> It's going to be five questions to each contestant, and the person that gets the most wrong is the loser. <laughs> we don't even talk about the winner. We only talk about the loser. You're, you're fully vaxxed and everything, so... Or you can be, yeah. be here. Oh, yeah, he can be there. Yeah. yeah. Come on. So, what does the winner get? Uh, carry, carry. Ooh. And the taco rub. Carry, carry. Carry, carry what? Uh, chili crisp. All right, Mr. Otero, please name the main ingredient in the popular Middle Eastern confection halva. Almond. No. No, of course not. (laughs) 
What is the ingredient in Cajun, uh, the Cajun specialty, dirty rice, that gives the rice the dirty look? I'm going to go with the stock, maybe, that's giving it the <laughs> dirty look. You what like is it? Uh, Brown giblet. Are we allowed Brown to steal? Brown giblet. Did you Okay. I mean, pick it up. Pick it up here. Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, totally getting the good questions here. That's good. <laughs> True or false? False. The, po- <laughs> the popular New York City soda fountain drink, egg cream, does not have a speck of cream in it. That is true, actually. Yay! It is true. The froth yeah. that crowns the drink is Volunteer made from... Volunteer Park Cafe makes a great one, by the way. Oh, really? We yeah. have them here. Okay. Oh, you have them here. Yeah. Okay, oh, good. We have them here, too. What are cellophane noodles, also called bean threads, made from? Cellophane noodle, bean thread. There's a clue in that second part. Bean thread something. Thread. <laughs> oh, the, the eye of the needle. What? <laughs> I don't know. Find out what, what, what it, I know. Soybeans. Soybeans. Mung, mung beans. Mung beans. Mung beans. Oh, ah, thank you. Did you know that? No. No, of course not. <laughs> She's telling me the answer. True or false? In the Celsius temperature scale, zero degrees is freezing, and 100 degrees represents the boiling point. True. Yay! Two out of five! That was a question? Mate, you have mung bean on one side and that on the other side? God. All right. Uh, two and out of five. It comes from a country where they use real units. Of course Exactly. We use accurate units. <laughs> they multiply well. All right. For our competing team, okay. teammates. Do we get to discuss before Please we introduce do? yourself. I am Mike. I am from North Bend. Oh, Mike from North Bend. Fan of the show and a huge fan and follower of Kenji's. So oh, this is a real treat. I'm wow. This worked out perfectly. <laughs> do we do we discuss and no, no. Yes. answer or what? No, no. <laughs> it's all eye contact. Okay. <laughs> Number 1, please name the class of mollusk that is considered the most biologically advanced that includes Octopus, squid, and cuttlefish. Cephalopods. <laughs> Whoa! We both knew that one. This, is, this team's off to a strong You actually knew start. that too, Tom? I think we're screwed. What is the name of the thick cord-like strands of egg whites which are attached to the sides of the yolk which anchors the center of the egg? Chalice? Yeah! That was the... Bless you. Bless you. <laughs> did not know that one. <laughs> what is clarified butter? Uh, butter that is uh, heated over low heat to reduce the milk fat solids and basically where you just have the fat left. You're the best. <laughs> Please come more often, Mike. I guess we'll give that to him. <laughs> <laughs> Channeling my Italian passion, what is culatello? It's, is it like... like so, something to do with butts. <laughs> yes. Is it like some kind of cured pork product that comes from a from a pig's fat? Am I allowed to say that? Do you want to jump yeah. in? I like? don't know. I don't know that. Okay. A lean, rosy red, raw Italian ham that has been cured and soaked in wine during aging. I didn't get the wine. <laughs> I like the Kulo reference, though. Uh, <laughs> she goes, I didn't get the wine. You didn't get most of that answer. <laughs> I got pig, pig cured pig, pig products. Yeah, yeah. Pig product. And no, but, but. Last night, this is true life. 
Last night I was using up refrigerator leftovers and proposed a steak and rice burrito to my husband. He asked if he could have an egg in it, too. I cooked all the ingredients separately and then wrapped them in the tortilla and heated a cast iron. Uh, would you have added the egg raw? <laughs> what? I'm not sure I understood. What's a, what's a cast iron for? I think this is a, this is a trick question because I wouldn't have put rice in my burrito in the first place. <laughs> Uh, you you win that one. No rice in the burrito. So they only they had four correct. You ready, wow. Mr. Douglas? Yes. Wow. If you ask me any of those first ones. <laughs> Pulses are the dried seeds of several types of legumes. Name at least one. Peanuts. Yes. Number two. What is the truncated pyramid goat cheese of the Loire? Typically coated in ash. Can you tell us more about the ash? Ash somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> Edible dark gray vegetable ash. It's ash. Uh, this is a gimme for you. What is the name of the astringent substance found in the seeds and stems of grapes, the barks of some trees, and in teeth? A tannin. Go, man. Uh, pectin is present in various ripe fruits and vegetables. How is it used by home cooks? <laughs> as, as to make jam, as a thickener, as a, as a, thickener. As a setter. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. thank you. And finally, you might tie these guys. Which I've, 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 already, I've already tied them. <laughs> oh, he's already tied? Yeah. Mm. Which animal... Oh, that- happy dagger. <laughs> this is sheep. Which animal milk is used for Italian pecorino? Sheep's milk. Yay! Good work! Bravo, Tom. I'm glad you were here. I'm glad we were here, too. We were getting our butts kicked. I sucked at this one. (laughs) Thank you, Kenji, for your participation in our show today. Uh, Thank you, Mike. You are the winner of our prize of uh, the Kari Kari. is how they said it when... They were on the show. Uh, if you want to be part of the show, you can join the community on Facebook Live at Hot Stove Society Radio Show or buy tickets to come here like all these beautiful people did. We're so thankful to have a live audience back. They had a great Dahlia Bakery breakfast sandwich this morning. Uh, you're listening to us on Cairo. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley and Sean McFadden. Our sh- editor, who had a lot of work to do in that last segment, is uh, Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. And remember, if you miss any episode of Hot Stove Society Show... You can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend.